Well, I'm going to turn to our reading now. Our reading is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. It's on page 1130 of the Church Bibles, one of these red Church Bibles. If you don't have a Church Bible in your hand or a phone in your hand where you can grab a Bible app quickly, do just could you indicate to, to the stewards they'll bring one to you? Lovely, thank you. There's one over, over in the middle there and over at the front here as well. Great. So it's page 1130. I'm going to read from verse 19, which just gives us a little bit of context as well. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, I'll say it again, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This, is, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What amazing verses to celebrate this Sunday before Christmas. I'm going to pray as Dan comes uh, to, sh- to explain those to us. Father God, we worship you and praise you for your word. As we've seen how desperate our plight is without the love of Christ. Now, Father God, open our eyes to the depths and the riches and the glory and the wonder and the magnitude of the revealed righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus. And may we rejoice this morning. May you anoint Dan as he proclaims your word to us by your Holy Spirit. May you anoint us as well by your Holy Spirit that we might rejoice in this great righteousness together. Open our hearts, Lord God. Open our minds. Open our ears. May we concentrate. May we listen. May we glorify you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, do keep that passage open in front of you. But I don't know if you've been watching... One of my favorite TV programs at the moment, The Apprentice, where 15 business candidates battle it out 
uh, to compete to be Lord Sugar's eventual business partner. And you'll know if you've watched the TV program, that one of the best things about the show uh, is just the, the confidence, the, the self-belief that these candidates have in themselves and their desperate need uh, to tell that to the other candidates, uh, but more so to tell that to Lord Sugar themselves. And I've got a few quotes here to show you what I mean by that. One candidate said, I think outside the box, if I was an apple pie, the apples inside me would be oranges. (laughs) He didn't get the job. Another quote said, one person said, I'm like a cash machine. If you push the right buttons, I will give you money. And my personal favorite, which is one person said to Lord Sugar, I'm not a one-trick pony. I'm not a ten-trick pony. I've got a whole field of ponies waiting to literally run towards this job. I mean, these are some quotes, aren't they? And they are incredibly exaggerated, of course, for TV. But, you know, I think it does reveal something about how our culture works, which is that it's a self-promoting, it's a self-validating culture where in order to get something... We need to show why we deserve it, you know, and that happens all the time, whether that be for the jobs that we want. And we need to write out a CV that that shows why we are the right and most qualified person for the job. Or, Or whether you've been applying for university recently and you've had to write personal statements outlining all of life's accomplishments and achievements to show why you deserve a place at uni. Or maybe it's a bit more subtle than that in the way that we can often validate ourselves, seeking the approval of our friends and different groups that we're a part of through what we own, how we speak, how we live. Our culture is about self-validation where in order to get something, we need to show why we're worthy of it. And it's not just culture, is it? But isn't that the view of religion? That in some way I need to validate, I have to prove myself to God and, you know, almost like an apprentice candidate. And if I just show God why I deserve to be with Him, if, if I just show Him all the things that I've done, if I present Him my CV that I've written out, then it will be fine. But you know, what we've seen in this uh, book of Romans, this letter that Paul is writing, what we've seen is that if, if that's how we think, Well, we need to think again, because what Romans has shown us so far as we've been going through is that, well, we're not good enough. And not just we're not good enough, but we'll never be good enough. Romans 3 sums it up, really. If you look at verse 10 before our passage, it says, there's no one righteous. There is no one right with God, not even one. And so if we're looking at validating ourselves before God, handing him our CV, expecting a successful outcome, well, Paul says we're wasting our time. No one's able to do that. As it says in our passage this morning in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. And you know, whilst there would be many things, many good things, many things that I'd be proud of to write on my CV and show God, you know, there would be many things that I'd want to keep hidden. I know myself, the way that I've treated others, the way that I've treated the God that has made me. But it's shocking. All have sinned, Romans says, and fall short of the glory of God. And you know, as we heard from Josh a couple of weeks ago, the result... Is, is what we see, is what we've read out before our passage in verse 19. Paul says that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. It's that moment, just like in The Apprentice, where the, the excuses start coming out and the blame game is being passed around. But it's that moment where it all just stops. The excuses run out. The blame game stops. And Lord Sugar starts to speak. Except, this isn't Lord Sugar, is it? That we're held accountable to. But God, the one that we've sung this morning, the one who's given us life, the one who knows my every thought and deed. And Paul says there's no other verdict in his boardroom, in his courtroom, than we're guilty. And what's worse is Paul says there's nothing that we can do about it. It's a pretty bleak, And it's a pretty sobering message, isn't it? And it's not a message that we like to hear. I don't like to hear it. And you know, if that's where the letter ended, it would be a pretty hopeless situation, wouldn't it? But you know, as you might have heard as we read out just before, that is not where the letter ends. But rather, God has intervened in our hopeless situation in the most incredible way. And you know, I hope this morning... I hope this morning, I pray this morning, that we get to see just how loving, just how gracious God is. I hope we we see why Jesus isn't just another historical figure who said a load of nice things, but rather why he is the most important person we could ever hope to know, and why he is the best news we could ever hope to hear. I hope we walk out the door singing this morning, because of what Jesus has done for us. These are some of the most amazing verses that we could look at. And as we go through at this passage this morning, I've got three points as we go through. And the first one is given by God. You see, the problem that we've seen in Romans, of course, is no one is righteous. That word righteous, to put it simply, means to be right with God. It's a legal term, uh, which means a person is not guilty. But you know, as we've seen through Romans, no one can say that before God. Which makes what we're about to read the most incredible statement. Let's read again from verse 21. Look with me. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher of the last century, he said about this verse, he said, there are no more, there are no more two beautiful words in the whole of scripture than these two words, but now. 
Because do you know those two words that start verse 21, they signal the most significant change in the book of Romans from Paul previously highlighting over those opening chapters our desperate and hopeless position before God to now Paul saying and showing us what God has done. And you know the big news that Paul brings is that the righteousness of God has been made known to us. It's verse 22, being given to us. As we're reading this verse, in light of everything that we've seen so far in Romans, we should be thinking, this is the most incredible news. Because it's the righteousness of God that I am in desperate need of. We've seen and we know that our own righteousness, our right standing before God, it's failed, it's, it's stained. But the righteousness of God... That's the complete opposite. It's from God, so it's perfect. It's pure. It's stain-free. It's the righteousness that we desperately need because it's a righteousness, it's a right standing with God that makes us right with Him. It's like going for a job with um, the boss of a company and in the interview, the reference you hand him is from him. The righteousness of God makes us right with him because it's from him. But I hope we see the great, I hope we see the the love of God in these verses that this righteousness is given. God is the one who's acting. God's the one who is working all the way through these verses. He's the one that does the validating. Do we see that? And isn't that just the complete opposite to what religion says? Because it's not about you making yourself, ourselves, right with God, but rather the news that God has stepped in. God has done the work to make us right with him. This righteousness is given by God. It's of him. It's from him. But you know, the problem in all of this, as Paul outlines, is whilst this is all great news, is this actually the right thing that God should be doing? You see, when Paul in this passage talks about righteousness, he not only talks about righteousness given to us, making us right with God, but he also talks about how God can be called righteous. You might see that. Look with me at verse 25 and 26. Verse 25, it says, He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And then verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, the real problem in Romans is, is how can God be just? How can he be called righteous by making unrighteous people righteous? That's the equation. Because if God is going to be just... If God's going to be fair, how can he forgive? You would not call a judge good if he pardoned everyone that was guilty. And so Paul highlights this tension. God is just, and he needs to be just. But he wants to forgive. But doing one means he can't be the other. How can God be fair and offer forgiveness. And that's the answer that we see next in our second point, which is completed by Christ. 
So how can God be fair and forgive? Well, Paul says, look at Jesus. Look with me at verses 25 and 26. Let's read that together. It says, God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus is God's answer to how perfect justice can be carried out, but how also God's mercy can be shown to those who don't deserve it. It's there at the start, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Now, what on earth does that mean in verse 25? Well, that word atonement means the satisfaction of wrath. Meaning that Jesus is the one who satisfies. He's the one that removes the wrath of God on our behalf through the shedding of his blood on the cross. In essence, Jesus is the wrath quencher. Because it's on the cross that Jesus, he experiences the full justice and judgment and anger and wrath of God at our sin in our place. He removes God's wrath from us. The wrath quencher. Meaning that for all those who trust Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no anger. It's been removed. It's been dealt with forever. And you know, for most of us this morning, that's not something new that we're hearing. That's not something new. But you know, I hope we see just how perfect, just how incredible Jesus on the cross is. It's incredible. Because it's the place where people not right with God are made right with God. But it's also how God can be fair and just by allowing all of that justice to come upon Christ. The wrath quencher. Jesus, he he provides the perfect solution to both justice and mercy. I mean, as we're going through Rome, it is just perfect. We look at Jesus on the cross, it is perfect. It's the perfect solution. Mercy and justice together. And it's why this morning Jesus is the most important person we could ever know. It is why this is the best news we could ever hear Because it's in him, it is only in him, that we find the total and overwhelming love and mercy of God. God, who came into this world as a helpless baby, to help those who are spiritually helpless. Isn't that amazing? Like, I don't know about you, but but sometimes Christmas doesn't make sense to me. You would hope so, I, I work at a church, but... Sometimes it it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why would God do this? Why would he do this? Why would he come and, and enter this broken world? Be mocked by those around him. 
endure the suffering of this world? Why would he be crucified in the most brutal and painful way ever, ever invented in history on the cross? All for people who don't deserve it. Why, God, would you do this? But you know, actually, if we keep on going in Romans, we get the answer. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 will be a very famous verse, but it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know, this is how we know this morning that God loves us. Because it was precisely at our worst that God had mercy on us. That Christ chose to die, to be our wrath quencher. To give us a righteousness, a right standing before God, not of our own, but of God that's perfect, stain-free through what he's done. It's completed through Christ. And finally this morning, it's received by faith. Received by faith. We've seen so far that God has given us the righteousness, the right standing with him that, that we are in desperate need of. He's made it known through Jesus, the wrath quencher, the one who removes God's anger from us, where he perfectly meets the need for God to be just, but also allows God to offer mercy to people in desperate need of it. Uh, but you, you might have heard of a guy called um, Martin Shkreli, and he's been called in the media uh, the most hated man in America. And he's been called that because of a decision that he made as CEO of a pharmaceutical company to raise the price of a life-saving HIV drug by 5,000%, taking it from £9 a pill to £490, with people having no other available option. And you know, this morning... We've seen that God has provided a way of rescue. He's provided a solution to what we need. And we might be thinking, well, what's God going to require for this? How much to receive what he's offering? Well, do you know, Paul, throughout this passage, makes it clear to us. What's it going to take? Look with me at verses 23 and 24. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. It says we're justified. We've been made right with God. It's the same word as righteous. We've been justified freely by his grace. This rescue, this righteousness that we are in desperate need of, It doesn't have a 5,000% value addition. God doesn't hold it out of reach from us. It says God gives it to us this morning freely as a gift. There's nothing for us to add. There's nothing for us to pay. And Paul says it's simply received by faith. Look with me at verse 22. Paul says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding in his blood to be received by faith. 
And verse 26, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All of this received through faith in Jesus Christ. And do you know the problem is, is that we can have a pretty flimsy view of faith, can't we? When we hear that word, it, it sounds a bit wishy-washy, doesn't it? A bit hoping for the best. You know, I, I really hope this all works out in the end. But you know, Paul, later on in his letter, he goes on to define and show us what this faith looks like. And in chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, he's, he's using Abraham as an example, but he, he says about faith. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, he says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You see, the way that Paul describes it, faith is not the absence of confidence, but rather the result of being confident. Being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised. That is what faith is. And so in our passage, when it talks about righteousness that is given, this gift of forgiveness and mercy, Paul says it's received by those who are fully persuaded that what Jesus has done, that what he did, he did for them. Fully persuaded. Fully confident. Because do you know the humbling truth is that God has done for us this morning absolutely everything. He has done everything. We have contributed absolutely nothing to this. In fact, it's even more humbling than that because the only thing we actually contributed was our own sin. Our own mess in the first place. You know, I remember one time at a, a place called Westbrook. Some of you might know in the Isle of Wight. It's where we uh, used to take young people to uh, for a weekend on the Maybank holiday. But I remember one year going to Westbrook, this big mansion house, and uh, went to sleep. But that moment, waking up in the middle of the night, realizing I am about to be sick. And not just sick, but really sick. And I make a s- swift dash to the bathroom, but of course it's all too late. And I throw up all over the floor. It's over my bag. It's over my clothes. I mean, it's a real mess. And I'm there and I'm desperately trying to scrub it up, you know, hoping that I'm going to make it better. I'm feeling rubbish. I was hopeless. I was there in my... It was, oh, it was horrible. I won't go on about it. But do you know, they were, <laughs> they were the most amazing team there. And do you know what they did? They came. There was a doctor there. He made sure I was well. There were people there. They cleaned up the sick. The staff took my clothes. They put them in the wash. They tumble dried them. They ironed. They folded them. They gave it back. And, and here's me just hopeless, just standing there. There's nothing I can do. All I contributed was my sick. And yet I'd received the grace. I'd received the kindness from all of those people. And that's what I hope we see this morning. The grace of God. The grace of God. Do you know, I have a little bookmark that I keep in my Bible, and it has a definition of loads of different terms that Romans use. And for grace, it defines, for grace, it defines it as this. It says, an act of extreme kindness, 
which is so utterly unmerited that I can never claim any credit for it. Do you know, isn't that incredible? In fact, that's how we're meant to leave here this morning. Because in the next verse, if you you look at the next verse from our passage, verse 27, Paul asks a question and he says, where then is boasting? That's the question. Where then is boasting? That's where we're meant to get to. There's nothing we can boast about. Nothing we can say here this morning. We contributed to that. We deserve that. And you know, surely the result of what we've seen this morning is for us to be left humbled. For us to be left in awe and praise at what God has done. What God has done for us. It's not based on our intellect. It's not based on our beauty, our giftings, our eloquence, our upbringing. That God has done what he's done for us. It's because of God's overwhelming love made known in Jesus. And so doesn't it force us to be humble with one another, with our family, our friends, our colleagues at work? For them not to come across Christians that think that they're holier than thou, but rather Christians who recognize and point to the fact that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you are, we all need Jesus. We're all in that boat. And to engage with our culture that makes us earn and work for everything, showing how the gospel is just so different. That God has done the work for us. A way to be right with him that we desperately need. But surely it leaves us with humility with God, doesn't it? In our own relationship with him. There's nothing I can do to merit what he's offered. There's no way I could ever hope to pay back what he's given. Jesus and his work on the cross forces me to come to him this morning empty-handed. It forces me every single day I live to come to him empty-handed. To receive his grace and forgiveness as a gift. Do you know, I love, um, if you've ever been on Christianity Explored, we've got a couple of, of those coming up, which I'd thoroughly recommend. I love it. I do it all the time. And one of the episodes starts in the video, it starts with a, a young girl running down and she's on Christmas Day, she's opening her present and she opens it and she turns round, and with a sigh on her face, she goes, okay then, how much do I owe you? I mean, that's not it, is it? That's not how we receive gifts. That's how no one receives gifts. We receive gifts as gifts from the giver. This isn't the apprentice where we need to show God why we deserve it. This isn't religion telling us to make ourselves right with God. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. The news that the righteousness of God has been made known this Christmas. And he is the grace, he is the love that we need. He's done it all this morning, on the cross. And no matter who we are, we can receive it through faith, trusting that what Christ has done, persuaded what he's done, what he's promised, he will do for you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we 
We can't believe that this is what we're reading this morning. But now, Lord Jesus, we have read and we've seen how far we've walked away from you. Lord Jesus, we recognize how often we reject you, ignore you, treat you shockingly. And yet, Lord Jesus, your grace, your love is immense this morning. And you give us a righteousness, you give us the right standing before you that we desperately need. And Lord Jesus, you give it to us as a gift. You've done all of this and we can claim no credit for it. Lord Jesus, how great you are this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to just come before you and thank you. We want to praise you and be left humbled with each other, with you, our God, at what you've done. May we be in awe this morning at what we've read. May it never be dull to us. May it never be boring. May it be the best news that we've ever heard. May it be that every single day of our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Amen.